0: Welcome to Real, Raw, and Racialized, a podcast where we talk about race has affected our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We share our personal stories to talk about how race has shaped our lens of the world and how we operate in it. My name is Erlinda, and I would like to introduce Rodneal J. Pexon. He is currently a student for Physical Therapy Assistant. Welcome, Rodneal. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. No, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. Um, So to really just start our conversation today, can you just tell us about when was the first time you realized you were a racialized being?
1: That's kind of complicated because I think the earliest I could think of was when I was in, I think it was when I was in sixth grade and I was sitting with like a group of students who were like non-Asian and it was just me and actually there's actually another Asian student right across from me and they would make fun of the she's so she's, this there's other Asian students. She was she's Korean American, she was bringing Korean food to the cafeteria and people was making fun of her. And you know, thing saying that it stinks, it smells bad. It's terrible. So for me, I being a sixth grader, I think I was about, I think I was like, I don't know, like twelve years old or something like that. I didn't didn't see anything. I was just, I think it was like some weird survival thing where I'm just like, I don't want to be made fun of, especially the fact that like, um, I, 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 I feel like I was going to be a target. So when, so like one day, uh, I think she brought like this like. I think it was called but it's kind of like a, it looks like sushi. Um, Kimbap. Kimbap. I think Kimbap. So they of the students in the table grabbed the food and then like try to say, hey to me eat this and stuff. I think you like it. And then I was just so nervous. I said like, oh no no I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. No no no. And that's when I was like feeling that like, wow, even if I stay quiet and try to like blend into the background, like I still stand out. <laughs> um, so that's like the earliest I can think of. Um, another one, it was like when I was in uh, Florida and this guy asked me, cause I was walking to the, I was in a motel and we're walking to the like vending machine. This guy sitting outside smoking a cigarette, looked at me and asked me like, do you speak English? But in a very insulting way. And I was just like a very nice kid. I was like, I would never curse. But it was the first time I was like, what the fuck? To this guy. And but that stuck with me. So like those two experiences, it's kind of like when you ask that question, it's like those two memories are the earliest. I wasn't sure which one came first, but they they just like those two incidents, one with the food and one where the guy asked me if I speak English, like, like just like like was the earliest I can think of
0: yeah they like stick out in your brain mm-hmm. um with the lunch room story. I feel like there are there are so many people, like so many people who have like right like non american ethnic food who I feel like go through that all the time. but I think like it's changing now because like right, like ethnic food is is on the rise, quote unquote, especially Asian food, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. um, but just like what was i don't know did you also then feel?
1: Like a fear of even bringing Filipino food. I remember I brought adobo to uh to the cafeteria. I think it was uh, sometime in middle school. Middle school. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm not sure everybody experienced middle school like <laughs> the way I experienced that But middle school is a little bit traumatic. Um, I liked high school a lot better than middle school. Let's just say. And yeah, um, but yeah, I brought like adobo to the cafeteria and I I ate it and I guess like. It, I don't think anybody was being rude to me about that, but I think people were asking me questions like, what is that? Like out of curiosity. And I was like, oh, this is just like, this is like chicken uh, with a little soy sauce and vinegar. And then this is rice next to my side.
0: <laughs> yes. So yeah. So pro chicken adobo for yes. pork adobo.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, no, I completely felt that because when I was growing up, I also... Like, I remember specifically, even though also most of my friends were either Vietnamese or Filipino growing up, that um, I had synagogue, I think, for, for lunch one day that I brought. And I think it was, like, fish synagogue, actually, at the time. And I truly was, like, so scared to say that I've eaten, like, fisheye before. Mm. And I was so scared to say that. And then my friend was like, oh, no, I've had fisheye before. I love it. Mm. And I was like, oh oh my God, like, that's amazing. Like, I'm not the only one then, like, I can then talk about it and not feel ashamed for it. And now as an adult, I truly am like, I don't care if I stink up the break room. This is (laughs) amazing food. Like, I truly think it's delicious and amazing. And it's really interesting to even think about, like, food have smells. Because in in college, um, one of my roommates was, like, Sp- spam smells don't heat up spam in our microwave. And I was like, it does. Like, I truly don't think it smells like to me, it smells like good food. But to the idea that, like, if you're not used to spam, yeah, it like smells bad is like
1: so wild to me. But- oh, yeah. I think the one thing I, meant, I haven't had spam for a long time. I think that's the one thing. So, like, <clears throat> so I haven't eaten pork for. A long time. I think it's not like anything religious or anything, but um it's because my partner, he is Jewish and he doesn't eat pork. And I don't know why. I just I just like didn't eat pork around him. I and mean, he doesn't really care that like if I eat pork or not, but I just like kind of just like didn't start to start not eating pork anymore. So that's so that includes spam. So when you talking about that, I was like, oh man, I miss spam a lot. I used to fry the so spam. Sorry. No, no, no. It's good because like, I love Spam. Uh, but the one thing I remember about cooking Spam is I would cook, I would fry it and put a little bit, little bit of cinnamon on top of it. And it tastes really good. If you've never, I've if you've never tried before. have never
0: had cinnamon on top of Spam. Try it. I Truly, I will the next time. Because also, if you didn't know, you're on the off chance you want to get Spam. Costco sells Spam now. And so I bought a full pack of Costco Spam.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: It's well, really just a big pack of like cans together, but like, yeah. you know, so you don't have to go to the store for multiple cans. <laughs> um, but in the lunchroom, so what kind of school did you go to? Was it predominantly white, predominantly Asian, predominantly?
1: My I originally was born in um Newark, New Jersey. Um, but then my family moved, I think it was around five or five years old. Um uh, my family moved to West Orange, New Jersey. Um, so the school demographic is pretty much majority is black and then white and then Latinos and Hispanics and then Asians, um, it's kind of like the small, it's like, there's not a lot of us. Um, I was actually friends with the Asian kids because we just kind of like, oh, you like anime? Okay, cool. You like Pokemon? That's awesome. <laughs> uh, we just found each other. Yeah, like, like elementary, middle school and high school like demographic. Um, And most of the students around me are either like first generation, second generation of whatever uh, background they have. So a lot of them are just like, they have parents that are are immigrants from like another country.
0: So what was that then like for you growing up around all these different people, um, especially in, in kind of just figuring out your own Filipino identity and like Asian identity?
1: Not every single high school experience is like, like all oh, the perfect one. Uh, and I'm just speaking about high school um, because I, I remember that. <laughs> um, but I think it allowed me to ex- talk to and experience and interact with people with different backgrounds than me. Um, I actually befriended most of my like so most of my friends were actually like black and Asian. Um, and growing up with that, it allowed me just to like like feel comfortable. I feel it's weird because like I feel especially when I went to, like especially when I transitioned to college, which is majority white, I feel more comfortable around like people of color. So so that so like that experience allowed me just to like learn things um talk to people with differences and like when people ask me questions i'm like oh yeah i'm philippine american like this is stuff i would grew up with and stuff this is the type of food i eat so it's kind of like this whole exchange that's mm-hmm. what i'm trying to say
0: so then what was it like for you then to go to a predominantly white college oh god
1: um, <laughs> so <clears throat> i went to ithaca college and it was it wasn't, in- it's like an interesting experience because I remember my first day in school and this is after orientation, um, all, everybody in campus was, was majority white. And I felt, it's it's weird because I felt that like, oh, okay, like, you know, I'm in a different area. I could be okay with it. I could just make myself adapt. But then over time, I kind of like, I gra- well, I gravitated mostly to like the student of color in- on campus um, because like, I don't know, it's like every single time I would talk to like one of like my classmates who are what, like who are white, it's like, they don't know how to talk to me. I feel like they're trying to like, I don't know. It's like, it's weird. I don't know how to explain it. It's just kind of like, like the, I, like they didn't you talk- get you. Exactly. It's like my, uh, my, my roommate freshman year, he's a good guy. And and everything. He's like a like a music major. Um, but he uh grew up in some place in uh, in Pennsylvania, and he well he never met an Asian person at all. And I was like first like his first Asian person ever. And I was like oh, okay, cool. Because like I'm like one of, like the minorities and stuff on campus. Like I feel like I have to adapt myself um to all the white students. Like I feel like my like personality had to shift. And because like I need to be accepted by the white students because like they're the majority, right? Especially my professors who are like all pretty much white.
0: So you mentioned having to adapt because you felt like you were right of the minority. Like there aren't a lot of people like you. So you were like, you know, when in Rome, I got to be around and be like all these people. Yeah, I definitely think that's like one of the reactions that a lot of folks of color have when they go to predominantly white. Like, I feel like it's either, oh, I got to like, not assimilate, but kind of like change who I am. So I fit in more versus like, nah, fuck them. I'm just going to be who I am. Yeah. What was and that? I wish like- I was
1: one of those students, who just <laughs> like, no, fuck everything. Let me just be myself. But I fell in a trap of just adapting. Like, I feel like I have to like, I feel like when you said that, I was thinking about like in a way that I had to like survive. Like I was, I n- never went to upstate New York I thought when I say New York, I always thought about New York City. Um, so everything beyond New like New York City, I'm like, this is some foreign land. Um, so I think I just have to adapt and just like like make sure that like I'm able to graduate.
0: Oh, so you said that you kind of regret not being like a student who's like, fuck them all, you know? Yeah. Why do you regret it?
1: I think my sense of identity like changed in a way. I think I'm not sure if it's like some coping mechanism or anything like I just felt that like I need it's like what I said earlier guys I just feel like I just need to su- survive the whole time um and it like the idea like what do what do you even survive like life or death or whatever like it just to me like that's the best way I could describe it so I felt like my interests um changed um I hung out and went like did a lot a lot i guess like a lot of things that i would not like normally do i'm very open to things but then over time i because when you said that i was just thinking that like especially when i was in the grad school um part of the program i was in i ended up not having i lost a lot of friends along the way especially a lot of student color um, because of the high, because like, especially like the friends that I had in the program, um, the only, most of the people I hung out with were like student of color, which was like, I think there was only like five of us compared to like, so the, my cohort was made up of 80 students and the student color was about, I'm going to say like five to seven, so I gravitate to, towards them. But, because of how, like over time, especially going from the undergrad to the grad school portion of it, it got very competitive. And then, like over time, I just lost that community among, especially um, with like with like the friends I made in the and within the grad school uh, within the my cohort. Um, so I felt that, okay, I don't have that many friends that I had before especially a lot of my friends graduated. Like, they graduated already um I need to like survive like I need to like pass this program and stuff so I can get the hell out of Ithaca so when so over time I just like went on just like constant like study mode study mode study mode like I need to like think about the fact that like I'm in grad school and this costs so much money Um, I have to think about, like, how I, the reason why I stayed at the college, because I, because I I want to become a physical therapist, and it was just, like, this constant, like, 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 I need to be perfect, like, I need to be, survive well, like, like, I don't, like, everybody I used to hang out with, and stuff they just, they're just not talking to each other anymore, and then I got in trouble because of, my GPA went slightly lower than what was rec- recommended. So I got probation from that. And then and then after then I and then they said like, oh, next semester, like if I have to have to perform well in order for me to stay in the program. And that's when I started going to therapy. But I felt that like I still need to perform survive. And when I went, so when when, when I went back to school for that semester, I I was just going through so much i think i was like trying to like soul search i was trying to like like stay afloat reconnect with new people along the way and unfortunately that didn't really work out um, but you know although that was like a hard experience for me um uh, when what i mean by hard experience i got dismissed from the program when i especially, like and like so after going that hard experience pretty much i I, uh, I had to readjust or create a new identity. I think being in this specific program was in, like this doctor physical therapy program, like I tied my identity to it. Like I put that identity above everything else. Um, But when that was taken away, I was left with, who am I left with? Um, And honestly, like, I know this might be a little side note, but like, Thinking about that time, I was, <laughs> I uh, I was watching a lot of Avatar: less Airbender, uh, and then I transitioned to watching like Legend Korra. And I'm not sure if you remember when like Korra had to go through like a really dark stage of her life, kind of thing, and she needed to go through a dark stage of her life in order to like, to become like a new person who's trying to figure things out along the way, and that's how the series ended. Like I just felt like I was kind of like when I was watching that, especially after it got dismissed. I felt like I was like, oh shit, this is awesome. Like, I feel like I'm like, like going through what Cora's going through. And I was like in my mid 20s, and I'm like, wow, this cartoon show spoke to me.
0: (laughs) One, you're not the only one. I am so sure that so many people have gone through that same experience with Avatar. Um, I am definitely a late in life fan Mm because I only started watching it when it got on Netflix. Um, And my partner was telling me how. Uh, just even like the original, like Avatar Last Am- Airbender had won a lot of awards because they're like one of the few shows that truly showed what like war can do to mm-hmm. like a country and a nation. So I say all that to say that like Avatar is deep. Like it's deep. even though it's a cartoon, it's so deep and covers so many things and covers so many topics that it truly is revolutionary but also timeless in in terms of like right like this show came out a while ago and it still makes sense today yeah um but on the second part of that I truly do really appreciate you um telling your story because I know it's hard like when you when you deal with just hard shit it's like one hard to tell a stranger two hard to tell <laughs> on like a public podcast um so completely appreciate you i um, just leaning into that vulnerability, especially because, right, like, when we're talking about race, which already for a lot of folks is already vulnerable, and then to add <clears throat> just like a difficult time, because from the sound of it, if you grew up being around student of co- students of color or just people who just seem to get you more than white peers, and then to be on top of that in a very hard program around people who don't seem to get you, it it creates this sense of just like loneliness, you know? Yeah. And like I, I heard you say of like <clears throat> escaping Ithaca, like from the sound of it, it truly felt like you probably needed the escape because it of like a trap of loneliness or a trap of like, yeah. this is so hard for me to get through. And to not have people around me who get me is just even harder you know, cause like, yeah. I'm so sure that anyone who's gone through grad school, let alone undergrad, um, feels that same way when, when they don't have people around them who gets them. And especially cause you said like, right, like even all your professors were white. So even more so like there doesn't, there didn't seem to be a lot of, a lot of people of validation, a lot of people who truly understood you, where you were coming from, um, what you were doing, um. So I, I completely understand that that loneliness yeah. you must have felt.
1: I think but, I just had, I feel like, especially after gra- after finishing undergrad, I was still in the same school. Um, so like, all, like my advisor was the same person throughout. I think when, of course, when you go to grad school, like things get really hard, like get harder. You're required to like study more, um, write papers, yada, yada, yada. But I think it's just this expectation that, oh, like, this student needs to be at a certain level. Um, and I think, like, especially during that time, I was, I was just, like, going through so much and stuff. Like, I was just, like, I felt, like, at this one I got, like, and this, is, and this is interesting because, like, the idea of, like, depression and anxiety is never really talked about along, like, like, among, like, especially how I grew up, like, we just never talked about that. It's either, like, you just have to suck it up and just, like, power through, power through, and so, whole like, you gotta work hard, work hard and stuff, and that's like my mentality. Just gotta work hard, work hard and stuff. Even if it's like, I end up suffering. And it's interesting because like that brought up uh, the head uh, person at the time uh, of the of the department of physical therapy in that school. Um, he told me that, he was a, like an older white guy. He said that like, oh, you know what I did to get, in order to survive physical therapy? Um, school, I have to uh, like like eat less, have to suffer, have to sleep less and stuff. And look where I am today. And I'm just like, okay, cool, I can do that too. But it's a different time. Like I think it's like, I feel like a lot of people, especially like older faculty members, kind of like lose touch of like this is like the new, like it's not like the school. school is not like what it was back then. It's like we're living in a different time. So you can't really bring back the old stuff and have this expectation and stuff uh, of these students though, especially how like mental health um, is on the rise. Um, And especially how like students of color are going to your program with different experiences, um, probably suffering through like internalized, like, like mental health, like trying to keep things to themselves kind of thing, especially in a predominantly white space.
0: So on the topic of mental health, you were talking about how like in how you grew up, it's just not even talked about. Like you said, like you just have to work hard, right? Um, you probably also heard like, oh, you're worrying too much, just pray. Like, just put it in God's hands. Oh my right? gosh, like, all um, the
1: time.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, so kind of then, right, cause I'm Filipino and I've heard all those same things, right, like when I was struggling through graduate school, like I was working, Three jobs on top of having a full, like being a full time student. And my dad told me, like, oh, when I was working three jobs, what helped me was like looking at the fan, like a photo of our family and saying, like, this is who I'm doing it for. This is, this is what's getting me through. And I truly sat there, like, cool. Like, that's, <laughs> as you your head. Yeah. Like, that's not, my- <laughs> yeah, like, not going to help me. Like, I don't, I don't know. And, um, like, I say this all the time, too, is, like, truly what got me through grad school was my cohort, because I found people who understood me, who, like, got me yeah. through, um, because I also felt, like, truly so many imposter syndrome feelings of, like, I am not good enough to be in this program. Like, I do, I don't know anything, like, I'm not good enough. I have to go do so much more work than so many of my peers, um, and truly, like, my cohort is what <clears> got <throat> me through, Um I say all that to say is like, what is that moment where you realize like, cool, like what my family has been saying of like just work hard, just keep going, just doing, just like push through isn't working. Like when did you kind of have that moment that like this isn't this isn't gonna work for me?
1: I think when I got that when I got that um that like I think it's called probation. Um, so I wasn't allowed to like, go to like, so in, in physical therapy, you have to go through four clinicals, right. Um, every program how they structure it is different. So like that semester when I was like, I call that my, one of my dark semesters, <laughs> um, I, um, and then I got the probation. I wasn't allowed to go to my clinical. And at that moment, I was just like feeling like I did everything I can just to convince them, Hey, I know I didn't do so well. That past semester, is that way for me to go to my clinical So I want to be like behind the rest of my class. Um, they said no, so I didn't do anything the rest of that semester. Um, and then there was a summer, so I was just not doing anything. I was just at home, trying to like figure out what's wrong with me. Um, my mom um, and I, I, I honestly like if it work, Like if if it works for my parents to go to like the Catholic Church. And pray to the cross and love Jesus, like, yes, that's good. Like, you know, that helps them out. That's how they like go through life. That's good. You know, that that wasn't working for me. So I, and I'm actually like kind of like looking back now, I'm actually kind of proud of myself for doing this. I'm actually proud that I actually initiated telling my mom um, that like, hey, you know, I, I think I'm gonna go to a therapist. Like I think I wanna like talk to somebody about this. And my mom, she was kind of like, oh, like, why, like, don't, you don't have to do that and stuff. You can always talk to us, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think at that moment, it, was, it wasn't like, I love my family, like my mom, my dad, um, they're, they are, they are perfect and imperfect. But at that time, it, w- it wasn't helping me. So when I said that and I was pushing my mom, hey, I I, I want to go do, a, like, I really want to go do a therapist. She's like, okay, you have to do your research and look for one. So I went to Google research um uh, psychologytoday.com and say, where's the nearest therapist? Which one takes my insurance? Went to one and helped me, you know? I, I think like the therapist at my time, um, he was great. You know, he, he helped me kind of like understand about like identity and worth and like how, how like he, and it's like, it's like, I think when, and it's interesting cause like this therapist was a white guy so I was kind of like skeptical at first. I was kind of like, oh, I don't know who this person is and stuff, is he gonna like, like judge me or whatever? But he was actually very culturally competent. Like he, he knows like, you know, like he, like, like he knows that like, especially like that, he even told me this too. And I'm actually not surprised that a lot of Asian American students or Asian students, they have really high risk of like, like gaining like some mental health issue. So when you told me about that, I was like, wow, I feel validated. This is awesome. I want to see you next week.
0: (laughs) Well, yes. Okay. So one, um, the Asian American community feels and experiences mental health at the same rate as any other community, Mm. but we are the ones who are least likely to seek help. Partly because, right, like, like you were saying, the one, the ideal of like pushing through, right? Like even in our own culture, it's the idea of like, um like embarrassment and heat like right like don't do anything that'll that'll bring embarrassment to the family don't bring anything that'll dishonor right yeah. like that that ideal is like in so many um Asian American cultures like no matter what country you're from like this idea of honor and self-image yeah. and like seeking help is so anti that like it's always like right it's always like cheese of like who's going, you know, mm-hmm. right? So like there's there's so many barriers within our community of like why we don't seek help. And I think even more on top of that, like there are even then less Asian therapists. So it's also hard to find an Asian therapist. So also, which is also why it's really important to even have cultural competency, like you were saying. Um, Cause I think the first time I had ever gone to therapy, my therapist was asian though but that's because i like specifically picked her for that oh, you're so um, lucky. <laughs> she um she it was like on the idea of self-care and she was like a lot of asian students struggle in understanding the idea of self-care because we've always seen our parents like continue like right as children of immigra- immigrants like we've seen our parents struggle we've seen our parents strive hard so the idea of like taking care of yourself and like making sure you're okay, is so foreign. Um, Because right, like I just said, my dad worked three jobs just to get us through. Like I went through Catholic school all my life. Like my dad truly worked. And so it's the idea of like, trying to figure out how to take care of yourself while also caring for others is just really foreign in our, our community, because we're always taught like, you have to make sure your family's okay, you have to make sure your family is like, taken care of. Even at the like sacrifice of you being taken care of, yeah. so that I feel like that's always hard. Secondly, it's amazing that you told your mom because also the oftentimes that like often very much often Amer- like Asian Americans always talk to me about like how do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy? Like how do I tell my parents that I do go to therapy? Because um, even personally, it took me a while to tell like to tell my parents that I go to therapy. And same with my siblings. Um, so I think, like, kudos to you to straight up tell your mom, like, no, I, I like, truly need to go to therapy. Like, this is really Well, important.
1: the thing is, um, I'm under my parents. I was, like, under 26 at that time, so I was under my parents' insurance. I was like, let me just... Say hey, I'm gonna use this insurance to go to therapy. So I have to tell them. <laughs> so I that's mean, the one factor that just like pushed me it's like I got, I got, I got, I gotta do it.
0: <laughs> that's fair because also on the same point of other students that I know who um, are on their parents' insurance like refuse to go to therapy because they're like, my parents will find out. My parents will find out I'm going to therapy, so I can't um and which is also why i tell college students go to your therapist on college campuses now mm. because it's free like
1: as you whisper truly, to them it's like, it's like for truly free. it's
0: free um and they're always like what do you mean i'm like because it's so much more expensive like when you leave college like <laughs> well it's free um but no like truly it is so hard sometimes to talk to parents about mental health and then especially lay on that top of that like Filipino parents uh, to talk about mental health Um, do you think their perception of just therapy and mental health is like completely different now
1: I think like like of like ever since like I started going to therapy I think like I think my mom is very like she's kind of like I'm glad that you're seeing somebody um you seem a lot better um and just her saying that it's just like, oh, okay, like my mom's more accepting about that. My dad, he he's kind of like that Filipino father who is just kind of like Wichismo, he's just kind of like crossing his arms, me like nodding his head, like, mm-hmm, yep, son. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not that type of guy who doesn't really express himself. And a part of me is just kind of like looks at my dad and a little bit of my mom to I am mean, like, mm, maybe you'll benefit from the therapy. But I don't say it. I don't tell him that. <laughs> especially like I have this and like I'm not sure if like I'm not representing all like Filipino like I'm not saying like all Filipino fathers or mothers do this but I feel that from the stuff that my mom told me that my dad went through so many things back in the Philippines like he was part of a gang he had to fight with like kids in the block and Thinking about that and like this whole idea about trauma, I was just thinking like, is that the reason why my dad doesn't really express himself or like talk about his feelings? Um, and sometimes how like like, is like kind of like random, like angry out- outburst that comes out of nowhere? Um, is it because of like what happened in the past and like how he had to compensate that? Like, that's like the question I always like thought about a lot, so.
0: Well, there's two parts of this. One, <laughs> when did your parents immigrate here?
1: um so my mom came to the United States first um so both my so my dad's like an engineer and my mom's a nurse so back in ni- uh, 1987 I think they had like an opening for nurses um to come to the states so my mom came and then she brought my dad over and then they had my older sister and me and my little brother
0: so your parents were were there during Marcos era mm-hmm Because I feel like most people, like right, like of our immigrant generation, or I guess my immigrant generation, um, like my parents immigrated in the '70s, so like right at like peak Marcos era. Um, So like, do you know if your parents like, like how they saw the Marcos era in the Philippines?
1: Ooh, okay. So um, let's see. I isn't I think so. I. I think it's something we don't really talk about. I think because my dad lives at a different section in the Philippines where they were like pro Marcos and my mom's in the other section where it's just like, oh, like anti Marcos. So it's something they, 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 they I think that's like a, like, it's like every, I feel like every, it's like any parent back in the day who lived in, in a country and from like another country Come to the united states they they just don't talk about it they watch in they watch in the news back in the day but they just don't talk about it over like political stuff because like i guess it just turns into arguments and we don't want any arguments at home <laughs> um
0: only because like right like um when i asked my mom about it like because she immigrated in 78 i think mm. um she's like Because I was like, wait, that's like during Marcos era, like what happened? How are you even able to leave during martial law? And she was like, oh, no, like if you like you were allowed to leave if you had nothing to do with Marcos, like if you weren't protesting, if you weren't one of his enemies, like it didn't matter, like if you didn't have anything to do with it, you could have left. Like it was just more of like a political thing and not a like a real dictatorship like you like read in history. Right. And I was like, okay, that. Then why do we call it a dictatorship like that's weird <laughs> um and then i watched it's very video. confusing <laughs> yeah and then i watched um uh, actually I, I talked about this in my other podcast or my other episode is that um i watched this video and i regrettably say i think it was a buzzfeed video um where it was pow's during the marcos era talking to college students and like talking about what they learned about the Marcos era, and they all learned about how um, it was like a time of peace, like crime was low, all these things, and then people who were like prisoners of war during that time were like, no, like we were tortured for information, like I literally was tortured during all of this because of Marcos, like, and and so it it, like kind of talks about how like the history that the Philippines teaches and like the history that they hide yeah. and why like some of this doesn't happen. And and so that's why I think like, right, like people of your parents' generation, like I've heard both stories of like um, people who were part of people power and who were, because there were so many uh, student protests during that time. And so there are people I've met who are children of people who are student protests. And then I've heard people who are like your parents who are like, oh, we just saw, like, and my parents were like oh it just didn't keep your head down yeah like Don't it didn't happen we like as long as you were okay you know and so i think it could be part of that of like maybe your dad saw something and was like i truly can't talk about it you know yeah. or like it, and i think part of it is, is also is like the machismo of like boys aren't allowed to cry boys yeah. boys like have to like like take care of the family yeah and like be the breadwinner and just like you know like no emotions yeah like all the messages we've heard you know growing up like can't cry like boys can't cry
1: oh my god I cry so much my dad would just tell me to stop (laughs) (laughs) I mean this this is back in the 90s so that's I'm just like I try to be kind to myself or like be like kind to me like mentally be like you know as much as it sucks to tell that to a kids like back in the day it's like it was like now look like now it's like oh you can't tell kids about that because they might develop some trauma in the future um, but like yeah i just like i mean especially that like you know i'm still going to therapy like I talking about my parents about like you know small things just like they did the best they can to like raise their kids and i have to tell myself like my dad did the best he can to raise me yes telling me to stop crying, tell me to, like, work hard, blah, 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 be a man, all that stuff, like, I mean, it's, like, the idea is nice, but, like, it's more, like, 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 it's, like, it's complicated, you know, like, I'm living, like, I, I'm not, so it's kind of confusing when people say first generation, second generation, so, like, my parents are immigrants, so am I technically a first generation?
0: Okay, so this is how I rationalize this, yeah, because I've also learned, so, like, Um, we as children of immigrants are second-generation American because your parents, right, are also immigrants and they became Americans. So first-generation Americans are naturalized citizens. How I process it is I am a first-gen American-born citizen. Um, So that's kind of how I explain it because I think that's also the confusion that people are like, oh, are you first-gen or second? And so I say, I'm first-gen American-born.
1: Okay. It'll, that makes sense because like I was taught in school that like it's, especially my race critical theory, third class, which everybody should take um, and not ban <laughs> the South. Um, <laughs> so, but like, I was taught that like, yeah, like what you said, second generations are are like children. Of, so like, it's, I, I like to think of it as like pay respects to like my parents, for example, like they came to the United States. They're not just immigrants, they are US citizens. So they first generation coming here and I'm technically a second generation.
0: One of my friends said this to me and this truly like it truly kind of was like eye-opening for me, also being a children of immigrants, was um she was saying like our parents raised us for a world that never existed.
1: Or like the American dream, is that what you're talking about?
0: No, just like in general, like what, like their perception of what we would be like, of what the world would be like, like, and what, because right, like your father is essentially trying to prepare you for like the world, right? That's truly what parenting is, yeah, right? It's just trying to prepare your child so that they're okay and can take care of themselves when they're older, right? And so you're then trying to prepare your child for this prediction of the future that truly doesn't exist, that truly right, because their perception of what it was like back then is different from what it is now. So they're preparing you for a world that, yes, because, one, the American dream does not exist. (laughs) Two, like, it's just completely different of, like, what they could perceive, right? Like, we grew up with technology. Technology was not a thing in the 80s, like, barely a thing in the 80s. So, like, how do you then understand, like, the effects of technology, right, like, 20 years ago? Yeah, wow. except for my parents are
1: obsessed with Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I'm not sure you've experienced this too. <laughs> to
0: be fair, uh, the Philippine just culture was obsessed with Friendster, WhatsApp, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it just has now morphed into Facebook. Yeah. But ab- yes, completely understandable.
1: Interesting because like I just thought about like my mom she uh she recently told me that she started reconnecting with her friends from like nursing school and that was like years like I think like 30 plus years ago so like she's like chatting with them on like on Facebook and this is before the pandemic um, I think it was like 2019 she like all her nursing cohort I think they met up in Texas um, just like, it was a little bit of a reunion And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a beauty of social media sometimes, you
0: know? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. My mom does the same thing. She does that with her high school class. She does that with her college class. I think recently she was like, yeah, I'm at my college reunion. It's not like an official college reunion. It's just like her group of friends, college reunion that she all of a sudden is happening because of Facebook. And I'm like, Okay, cool. Have fun. Uh, But just also like even thinking about your siblings and even thinking about family, like, do you all have conversations of what it's like to be Filipino, of what it's like to be Phil-am?
1: It's interesting because like when I was in college, there's no, so when my sister, my older sister, um, when she, when she went to college, she, there was like a Filipino association on campus, which like, I mean, like it allowed her to meet up with other Filipinos. I mean, you met my sister and I, and my brother went to BU too, and he had, he had that experience too. But when I went to Ethereal College, predominantly white, there's like there's no Filipino association. There was an Asian American alliance, um, but, and I would participate in that, but I was just like, sometimes I kind of want to just like talk among like Filipinos sometimes, you know? So because I was at Ethereal College, uh, my only a time that I could hang out with like, a, like, a predominantly Filipino group was going to Cornell University um, and I had to drive there and it takes forever. And I was like there for a good like freshman, sophomore, junior year. And then that's when I started going to like the grad school por- portion that I just stopped going. But yeah, I didn't, I, 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 I didn't have that much, like ha- I had a lot of that. I just learned, I just learned mostly just how to be like Asian American itself. Um, my sister, and my brother—they had a different experience about that. They had like—I feel like—they had more of like, like, like yes, the, the Asian American like, like, knowledge growing, especially when you're in college. But they also have like, like Filipino specific topics they they could talk amongst like with their other friends and and on their campus. I didn't have that, so I'm just say I'm just jealous.
0: <laughs> in terms of then just being Filipino versus being Asian. Like, are there topics then that you're like, man, I really wish I could talk about this in college?
1: I talk about like, like I talk about when I was, when I was in class or, uh,
0: pretty much anything. So I think like for me personally, um, because right, like I went to college in Boston. One of the things that was like really hard for me, being Filipino, was like, being recognized as Asian um because like like I remember specifically I was in uh like a study lounge in our dorm like studying and it was like I don't know like 2 a.m and it was like all Asian kids in there and one of my friends like counts everyone and he's like oh ha 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 it's like so funny that there are like seven Asians in here studying but he didn't count me like I was the eighth person and I was like you know I'm Asian right and he was like oh ha ha like I meant Oriental Asians and I'm like you also know i am oriental asian right and he like truly couldn't comprehend and he's korean and like um there was also another time where like i was watching crash with like some friends um and at the end of it this also this korean girl thought i was black like she also didn't recognize me as asian wait what yeah she she thought i was black and i was like you also recognize i'm asian right like she she truly didn't understand. She was also Korea from Korea, like, yeah. Korean from Korea, like Korean from Korea. And she was like, and she like couldn't comprehend it, and so like because of that, like I very much then have, I think because of that, have fought to like be recognized in the Asian community. Because oh, like to prove yourself. Yeah, because I think also right, like whenever you think of Asian, just like in like modern media, it's always like East Asian communities, but then like thinking about like what Southeast Asians look like, what South Asians look like. um, There is this like disconnect. I mean, there's also a disconnect within our own community, but. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Everything's like, everything, is, I feel it's like every, as much as like, we can focus a lot more about like, like bigger things like, oh, black, white, like big races, but like, there's always, like you said, there's always like problems inside like in groups, right? There's always like divisions and stuff. So like, like you said, Asians, right, we're very complicated. There are Korean Americans, there are Chinese Americans, there are people who are like Filipino, Indonesian, like a bunch of places, right? And it's just that like, we we have, I feel like there's like this like, like separation um, of like, oh, are you like, are you technically Asian? Oh, mm, I don't think so. Um, I think you're like there's difference between you guys and stuff. Like, oh, I think you're a little bit darker, or like all these other things and stuff. And and I I honestly like I never I honestly that like that experience that you talked about, like especially that one person that, that assumed that you're black, that's like interesting because like, I I like, I I don't has this person ever seen a black person before or like it's it's just I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of like this. I'm just shocked that it happened to you. I mean, it's fine.
0: I also grew up in the Southwest, so I also rarely ever got Asian. Like, I always got, I've gotten Hawaiian, I've gotten Puerto Rican, I've gotten Mexican. Like, I'm more used to people coming up to me speaking Spanish (laughs) and not Tagalog. Like, it wasn't until I moved to Jersey did people start speaking to me in Tagalog. I was like so flabbergasted um, because when I first moved to Jersey, I lived in Jersey city, not knowing how many Filipinos lived in Jersey city. Um, And I had to like, I had to like go to with a student to the hospital as part of my job. And they, it was all Filipino nurses and they (laughs) saw me and they walked up to me and started speaking to me in straight Tagalog. And I truly was such in like a culture shock because I'm so used to people coming up to me and speaking Spanish that like, not that I'm already fluent, like I am I can get by, but I was so much in shock that when I tried speaking to him back, he was like, uh, nah, she's American, she can't speak. So he just spoke to me in English the rest of the night and I was <laughs> like, damn it, I'm like, no. Wait, do
1: you, how's your took, so like, first off, I'm very, I, I wait let me ask you a question do you do you speak Tagalog fluently or
0: I say I'm fluent in Taglish Taglish
1: yeah like I
0: I can get by I wouldn't say I'm fluent but I can like understand for the most part everything
1: I I'm very jealous of that I feel like so you're an older sister right I feel like my older sister she also does Taglish like she could understand and kind of speak it but like but like she understands when someone's talking to her so like growing up me and my brother we, I, we, I, I personally don't, I, I, so, hmm, so I don't speak Tagalog, so, like, or understand Tagalog, so, like, or, like, my parents' dialects, you know, the Philippines, is so many dialects in the Philippines, um, so I have to ask my sister, like, oh, what did mom and dad say to each other? I don't know what they're saying, so my sister would just be an interpreter for us, um, so I yeah, feel like I'm, it's the older, older sibling thing. <laughs> you guys yeah, are smart. But,
0: no, my brothers are the same way, but it, it's not, it's, oldest because we heard our parents speaking Tagalog the longest Mm. Um, because I think so For also anecdotally I've seen like Filipinos are like the community who loses our language the fastest
1: yeah
0: I think part of it I've rationalized I think a part of it is like self-hate like right like Philippines has gone through like 500 years of colonization and like constantly being told that like the Philippines suck that like they like some immigrants leave and are trying to remove right in that same sense of like I need to move to this country and survive because it's a better opportunity than in the Philippines yeah. so then I need to speak English and my children need to speak English they don't need to speak the Gala because that's not going to do anything I feel there.
1: like I feel like it's, it's like I don't know I feel like that's like some survival tactics you know I think especially like years of colonization you know like how do how do how, is it like how do I survive if if I was back there and I had to like like and I was like being colonized by like a bunch of countries. Like, how do I survive? How do I yeah, reach it's my like lives? um
0: Stepford wives, right? Like so this is like your it's like survival trauma, like your trauma response, right? Mm. If you've if you've been colonized or like kidnapped for so long, you believe your kidnappers um you believe your kidnappers like right point of view belief. And so then it you're then convinced that like my identity isn't great, right? Like I for me to live, for me to survive. I need to keep just following along with what my kidnappers have told me.
1: Do you feel Um, like there is some anger with that? Like when, like, do you feel angry about like why our Filipinos like are willing to just assimilate easily compared to other like groups, like other Asian groups, I guess? Yes
0: and no. Like I Mm. wouldn't necessarily say I'm angry. I'm more angry at like, like, why we don't recognize who we are already, like, the strength that we are. Like, I feel like the younger generation and, like, the community now is understanding that and is, like, celebrating it more than, like, before. Because, like, right, like, in the Philippines, there's, like, a Filipino-Spanish friendship day. Or is it Filipino-American Friendship Day? I forget. But it's literally a friendship day with one of their colonizers. And so just like <laughs> that idea is like very odd. And so I think- It is odd. <laughs> like I, I, I think it's also because of social media, right? Because like your then perception isn't isn't just like your country or your people. It's like expanded to like the diaspora, the people around, you know? And so I think like there is this rise in like claiming who we are, claiming our identity, claiming our culture, claiming who we are before colonization, that I think there is this rise, but I've definitely had conversations with so many different people about, I don't know, my perception is like this self-hate that the, like, the Philippines, Filipinos have, like, even if you talk to Filipinos now um, who grew up in the Philippines, like, they learn American history, like, they don't all learn Filipino history, they learn American history, and so I think just that perception um, of just like who we are as a people is changing. Uh, so I don't, yeah, like I say I'm angry, but I'm also like, it depends on who you talk to. It depends on the generation. Um, it depends on, right? Like the, your acculturation, your generation, your year. Um, but I do think there is this rise in like rec- reclaiming our identity. Right. Like more and more people are researching, more and more people are talking about it, more and more people are trying to find people who look like them, more and more people are trying to learn Tagalog, you know? Um, so I think, I don't know, I think it's changing.
1: Yeah. That's good. I, I think, I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about when I was in school uh, and I took like critical race theory and they show like a, like a, like a documentary about, um, about like Filipinos, actually. It was actually interesting. And they were talking about like how Filipinos, especially back then, were easily, they could easily assimilate into American culture compared to other Asian immigrants because of one, English, and two, like, yes, just, I guess, like, Christianity. I mean, I know Filipinos and, like majority is Catholic and stuff. I know there's like there, there are differences and stuff, but like they still fall under the umbrella of like Christianity. We believe in Jesus, right? So like they're like the fact like that happens and stuff. Like they're willing to assimilate. Like, they, they could like they are, from what I remember from this documentary, they were hired a lot more than other Asian immigrants back in the day. Well, because of these factors yeah, and like, it's like yeah
0: yeah i think it's also like colonization like that's they're yeah. the ones that like were easily able to move over because yeah. also if you think about it like i i uh i don't know if you know this but like a lot of so a lot of vietnamese refugees learned english in the philippines Ooh. koreans take english classes in the philippines because it's cheaper to take than like other asian countries yeah. so there are so many asian like eight other asian countries who travel to the philippines to learn english yeah um so i think that's like also a part of it so uh unfortunately we're out of time thank you so much for being on my podcast i greatly appreciate it i don't often have conversations about mental health with other filipinos so this was great um is there anything you'd like to promote?
1: Um. I don't have, like, I like to keep myself a little bit private and stuff, so nothing for me, but I want people to, like, you know, do their research, um, use internet and stuff to, like, look into, like, anything about race relation stuff, Um, and, you know, like, I'm here to promote uh, taking critical race theories, you know, in in high school and in college. That's pretty much it.
0: Also shout out to the Filipino School of New York, New Jersey. If you're like us and want to take Tagalog classes, the Filipino School of New York, New Jersey offers online classes that I've awesome. taken and they're, it's actually really good. Um, but thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you.
1: No, thank you so much.